So as you can tell from the title, this segment is supposed to really be about explaining a little bit, and sort of like a crash course mode, what exactly we mean when we talk about this concept called Olam Haba. In English, the classic translation, which we're going to have to obviously um, both make fun of and then also dissect a little bit, is the world to come, Olam Haba. And this is a, kind of like a funny topic in terms of its I would call it kind of like a hot topic in one sense because the implications of this concept are huge just in terms of our, our lives. And on the other hand, it seems almost like not a hot topic. I think uh, it doesn't seem like it's really, it's not really talked about a lot in, I guess you could call it the cultural Judaism space um, as opposed to other hotter, you know, hotter cultural topics like talking about halacha or Shabbos or things like that. But I just want to sort of start off by arguing and sort of saying that I think the reason why it's not talked about so much in the cultural space, I think Olam Haba is this thing that it's so wild that um, we have a hard time even taking it seriously as something that we really deeply, intuitively, or you know, internally really believe in or accept. We don't see the world in terms of Olam Haba in, in a genuine uh, sense. So that, I think, is sort of the reason why it's not a culturally popular topic, you know, as opposed to, like, things like Shabbos, which are just this weekly thing that we encounter all the time, and then the question is, how do you experience that? How do you live that? Olm Haba is this concept that is, first of all, just not uh, not really internally believable, I think, for a lot of people, and what comes with that is that if you don't think something is, int- is intrinsically believable, you, in another level of yourself, you don't really think that it's relevant it's not really real then it doesn't exist for you and it, for you then it's just not not real then it's not relevant in which case it's very hard to learn about something which you intrinsically perceive as not being relevant so then we have this second le- layer or level or problem where since it's not really so believable it's also not really learned about in a deep way and then we don't have clear knowledge of what our writings and our torah is claiming about what Olam Haba even is so each one of those could sort of solve the other, I think. I think if you learn about what Olam Haba is in a clear way, you'll see very quickly why it's relevant. If we found a way to make Olam Haba relevant without knowing about it so well, then I think that would drive people to learn it also. But we really are going to work more here with the learning about it since uh, the main ways of making Olam Haba relevant are essentially to run into it and encounter it, which is uh, hopefully not uh, what we're going to be doing in the near future, at least on an individual level, as you'll see when we start talking about what exactly it is. Um, although that's even a little more complicated than I made it sound, but okay, whatever. So just to sort of view this as a crash course to sort of explain what Olam Haba is and sort of the process, like where we are going, who we are, what, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the timeline of life going towards Olam Haba. And I just want to start out by sort of putting, you know, pointing out that there are really two different facets to this discussion because Olam Haba seems like it's some kind of post-death situation, we're going to describe in what way that's true and what way that's not true. and But there's also the death aspect itself. And so these are two giant things, right? The death concept and the Olam Haba concept. And, you know, the death concept kind of acts as a natural bridge in terms of making Olam Haba relevant because death is very relevant, even though we try to pretend like it's not going to happen. People say things like, well, if I die, but there's no if. Our body does at some point turn off, at least so far. That's been how things are. So uh, maybe in the future we'll find a way to change that, which is a longer discussion. But it's something which happens. And then, you know, the Torah's claim is that it has some, some interrelationship with Olam Haba. So these are two giant concepts that we're going to try to crash course them into small, edible 
structures for now. I want to stress there's a lot more to unpack with these two concepts, but we're going to start with this as a crash course just to sort of undo some of the misconceptions and the confusion and to sort of show hopefully that like those misconceptions are getting in the way of a very intensely productive usage of understanding of what Olam actually is. So let's just first sort of just describe what exactly we mean when we say death and how that sort of leads into Olam So death is this funny thing because it's such a natural given for us. You know, we, it's also, it's misconceived in a certain way. And I want to describe for you how the Torah views, talks about, and describes the death concept. So the, the underlying principle is that you are not your body. That's how the Torah views it. You are not your body. You are your consciousness. You can check out the video about Neshama consciousness on the channel. But you are, you are the consciousness that is aware, that is watching the movie of your life through your eyes, hearing the sounds of your life through your ears, and then using your body to interact with the space that your body is in. So you're the consciousness that is sort of controlling that and making that work. And then what's interesting is that this set of tools, the ears, the eyes, the body, with the brain, all these things that you're using, so they constrict your awareness of your total consciousness. So to sort of make that a little you know, clearer, uh, just to describe it a little more fully, you could think of it as if you are currently only partially awake. You only know certain things about yourself. You're only partially conscious. And then your body acts as like a set of walls that holds in and limits your awareness of the rest of yourself that you are currently out of touch with. That's the rest of your neshama, we'll call that, the rest of your consciousness. And so your body is kind of like this narrow space that is restricting you from knowing the rest of yourself. And then what happens is, so when your body shuts off, which is what we call death in English, so that's like a certain new state of consciousness now, where since your body is off, so now you're no longer receiving information on the level of yourself, you, the consciousness, the self that is not the body, you're no longer receiving information from your body. Your body usually sends you information, right? You're the self, you're receiving information through the body, ears, eyes, all the senses are sending information and then you're processing reality. But now once the body stops sending you information, so then you're only going to be exposed to reality through what the Torah would describe as the sixth sense. That's the, the word for that sixth sense is called the dat, the das. So those are two different ways to pronounce it. There's a tough at the end, so you could pronounce it dat or das. And basically, das means your, you can describe it as your connection between your consciousness and the rest of you, the larger consciousness that you are a part of. And so when your body sort of turns off, you suddenly get exposed to a massive array of information about who you are and also your relationship with other selves. Because the Torah's claim is that underneath this body, your consciousness is actually linked through, we'll call it the consciousness matrix or consciousness ocean with all the other consciousness, conscious selves that you call people. So if you see another person opposite you, you say, hey, look, there's a person, there's a body over there, and there's someone that I know who is talking to me through that body. So when your body and their body turns off, you're suddenly exposed to the truth, which is that you and they have a connection. Your consciousness and their consciousness are actually linked, and there's almost like a bridge between you. And so when you experience that through the body, we call that building a relationship. You're now trying to sort of uncover 
the connection that, that you have with them. And as opposed to creating a connection, when you meet a new person, you see there's your body, their body, and you're now talking to each other. So it's not, you could call it creating a connection, but the truth is, according to the Torah's view, you're actually not creating a new connection. You are uncovering an existing connection between you and them. There's, there's you, there's them, and the selves are actually already bridged and linked in the consciousness matrix space that you are currently blocked off from seeing because of your body. So when your body turns off, so the, what we call death is essentially the removal of these walls and barriers that are currently telling you that this is you and that you're just this thing, you're restricted inside of this container, and this is your whole self. When this thing turns off, it stops sending those messages to you, and you suddenly experience this much larger, much more free, much ex more expansive version of yourself and the bridging between yourself and all other selves. And so... That death process is a certain kind of geula, a certain kind of redemption. It frees you from this narrow space that we call the Meitzarim, also known as Mitzrayim, which is like, that's the word for Mitzrayim and the Chumash, for those who are familiar with the story of the Chumash of leaving Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt. So the, you're, you're being freed from a narrow, smaller space and being released into like this much larger way of knowledge of who you really are. That's what death is about. The concept, the, the concept of maves, of death, in the Torah is that it's designed to undo the narrowness that this character, this, this construct, imposes on our consciousness to free us to a higher state of consciousness. So that's phase one. That's what we call death. Now, the, just again, to continue with our crash course and to sort of show death is phase one of the process that we're going to talk about, and we're going to, I'm going to try to tie it all together as we go through, and maybe at the end we'll, do like a, we'll also have to do a summary. But so death is the freeing of yourself, of your neshama, of your consciousness, of you really, from the construct of this body. And then your consciousness now operates in a state of being that we call olam haneshamot, olam haneshamos. Okay, olam haneshamot literally means the layer of reality in which consciousness operates freely from a body. So we're not going to be able to go in depth into what that looks like. It's an obviously fascinating area. Um, this is a crash course, so we're not going to be able to just analyze that too deeply. But for now, we'll just stress that right now, if I actually asked you to point to where you are, so first your instinct would be to point at your body. Well, I'm right here. But the truth is that if you are not your body and you are your consciousness, so then you're actually not inside of your body. And if we would open up your body, we would not find you in there. You are in a state of being called Olam Anashamos, the, the, the layer of reality of consciousness, and you are somehow manifest through a body. And so there's a linkage between you and the body that allows you to shine through, like I'm shining through my body right now. But that is, you know, it's a phenomenon. But you yourself are actually in a state of a state of being called Olam Anashamos, and when the body turns off, you're suddenly exposed to that truth that you are now that you're you're suddenly waking up to the fact that oh wow like yeah I forgot I'm in Olam Anashamos that's actually where I really am and the body is simply like an experience that I was going through because of the connection between me and the body that allowed me to manifest through my body. So Olam Anashamos is the term for what where you are you know where you go which you don't really go there because you're already there but what you experience when your body turns off and you enter the state that we call in english death that's olam hanashamos the layer of reality of consciousness where the consciousness operates okay so that's so phase one the death process phase two olam hanashamos now i want to just take a little a little um you know side journey here for a second and just talk about olam hanashamos just two things about it one is that depending on how you experience your your consciousness through your body, Olam HaNashemos, this sudden exposure to Olam HaNashemos when your body turns off in the death process can be one of two permutations 
you will experience the sudden exposure to Olam Hashemos either as a very shocking, jarring experience or a very um, validating and very supportive and like just sort of validating what you already thought type of experience. So again, when your body turns off and you get exposed to Olam Hashemos reality again, now that you're you're currently blocked off from it inside your body, when your body turns off, you get exposed to Olam Hashemos. So then in that, in that exposure, it's either, you're either, either going to experience it as very shocking and jarring or very validating. Now, what determines how you experience it is how you already saw yourself when you were still narrowed inside of your body's context. When you're still linked to your body, did you view yourself as your body? Did you think intensely, I am my body, and that's how you lived? And then suddenly when your body turns off and you get exposed to the truth of who you really are and you suddenly remember that you're actually this larger consciousness that you essentially forgot about, the sudden transition from thinking that you are your body and then suddenly discovering that you're actually much more than that is super jarring and very painful. It's like a very intense shock, the impact of suddenly encountering your true self versus what you thought you were. So to the degree that you lived thinking that you were your body, you'll encounter the shock of that Olam HaNashamas experience as a very difficult struggle to sort of like adjust to that truth. So that's one outcome. And the other outcome is that you lived being already aware that you are not your body. You understood that you were that you were a neshama, that you were consciousness. You lived in a way that was in harmony with that truth and you, and you saw yourself that way already. So then when your body turns off and you suddenly get exposed to the truth of who you are experientially because now your body is off and you see that you are actually a larger self, that's very validating because it's a struggle that you had to go through when you were operating within your body you constantly struggle to remember that you were not your body and suddenly it's like just revealed to you that you're not your body and that's super supportive, super validating. It's much easier to suddenly to just go, go in that path because you're suddenly experiencing yourself as, oh yeah, here, look, see, it validates. I really was not my body. So those are your two possible experiences of Olam HaNashamos. Now, each of those experiences has, has a name. The experience of shock is what we mean when we say the word Gehenim. So that concept eventually trickled down and turned into what people in the Christian world today call hell. It is not a place in the ground. There is no fiery pits, nothing like that. Um, it is it's a very specific experience, and that's called Gehenim. And the alternative option is what we call Ganeden. And so the, both of those need a lot more development, obviously, to understand Ganeden. Ganeden is also seems to be a place that is located on Earth in Parshas Barathees. We've done analyze what that means. We're not going to do that right now, but for our purposes right now, in terms of our crash course, so we have the death process, which is the freeing of the consciousness from the body's restrictions. And then we have the Olam HaNashemos layer in which you have two possible permutations and where you either experience that as Gehenim or Ganeden. So both Gehenim and Ganeden are simply different ways you could encounter the Olam HaNashemos experience. Olam HaNashemos is what we call where you go when you die. To use simple English terms, again, you don't really go there, you are already, you are already there, but that's all that category. So you have death, Olam HaNashemos. Now we have to talk about phase three. So phase three, the final phase here, we call Olam Haba. Olam Haba is what happens after the Olam HaNashamos process takes, like basically culminates. So what happens? So you, when your body died in phase one, so now you got detached from the body and that freed you to the Olam HaNashamos consciousness. And then you, that exposure was like, you know, let's assume it was validating for you. So you're very, very like, okay, yeah, look, I see the truth. I now realize I, I now more fully experientially realize that I'm not my body. And then you basically are in that state of being for a temporary period of time, which we have to talk about how long and what that's like that period of time. But you are in that state of being for a period of time. And then the next thing that happens to you is that you, the self, the consciousness that we are describing, gets reattached 
to a body, either the same body or possibly a new body. But you get reattached to a body. Let's, let's assume for now it's a body just like this. And then you wake up in this place and then you live forever. Okay, I'm going to just say that again. What we're talking about here is Olam Haba means it is the post-Trias Hamesim phase of human existence. So what that means is, again, death, expansion of consciousness, Olam HaShamos, and then you get, when we, when we figure out how to do Trias Hamesim, either there's going to be a process in which we learn how to discover and how to take consciousness of people who are no longer their bodies are no longer operating will find a way essentially to take to find those people to find consciousness and reattach it to a body that's Hashem giving us the keys to Trias HaMesim there's a process that we have to undergo in order to achieve that and there's also many details to describe there but essentially what we're talking about here is that in the world as the world gets to a certain point so people in the world we're going to figure out with Hashem on our own a combination of the two because really there's no on your own Hashem is pretty much a pervasive truth of reality but in other words we're going there's going to be a process in which we eventually master the ability to locate consciousness and then somehow reattach it relink it to bodies in the world that is the process that we call trias hamesim literally resurrection of the dead when you think about why why I'm using those terminologies relinking consciousness two bodies is because if you talk about you know in a very vague way like well you know what you know what trias is resurrection of the dead well there's dead people and we're going to bring them back to life that is that that's like a very classic way of saying it that is super vague think about that carefully how vague that is that's like what why we have zombie movies now because it's like oh let's take dead people and bring them back to life that you're not describing anything because you have to understand what death is and what life is and then how do you deal with that how do you how do you master that and so the Torah's description of these things is that you are consciousness and your body turns off so then now we have the rest of us conscious beings who are still operating with bodies figuring out and mastering the relationship between the self what we call the neshama and bodies and then figuring out how to reattach fragments of consciousness in other words people you selves reattach those neshamos two bodies so then the bodies are once again going to operate as channels and conduits for the selves to now be in the world again to now operate inside of this context and the torah's approach to this the torah's description of it is that at that point when you get reattached to a new body and you go through the trias amesim phase then that new body and you will be at a much higher state of harmony than you are right now see right now as we described your body creates a very narrow space where you don't really see yourself as being consciousness you have the actual ability to think that you are your body but in the in the after trias amesim happens and you get reattached to a body after your body dies and you now come back to life and you're now here again in that you know in that in that new phase so your new relationship with that new body is going to be very different you're not going to have the capacity in the same way to actually think that you are your body you won't be able to make that mistake so easily and so because you won't be able to make that mistake so easily so that means that now there will like like the the the, net, the friction between you and your body will essentially not exist anymore and one of the corollaries of that is that that new body and that situation between you and that body can't really won't really end in other words once we master consciousness and its relationship with the body we can create a situation in which you won't be able to die your body won't die and you will no longer be able to be lost from this setting just because you don't have a body so and even if your body could die by the way since we figured out how to then reattach consciousness to bodies we can always just reattach you to a new body and just you know, bring you back to life so 
essentially those are the those are the phases we're talking about here the last phase olam haba is after triasamesim after resurrection of the dead after you figure out how to reattach bodies and selves um, you know tools and consciousness and then after that you uh, you operate here again and you then live forever now we have to talk about what you're doing during that phase again there's many details that we have to spell out here so like i said this is a crash course i don't want to go too far into the details of that right now but the phases essentially are the death process, the freeing of the consciousness, and then after that happens, you are at Olam Hashemul's state of being, where you are essentially grappling with the two possible permutations, and then Tchias Mason, you get reattached to a body and come back to life, and Olam Haba means that now you live forever, and so during that process of forever, you are now going to undergo the whole purpose of creation at a much higher state of being. See, right now, the way you live with your body and the what we call the Olam Hazeh perspective. So Olam Hazeh means a layer of reality that is that is very zeh, very fixated. You're very you're constantly fixating on things. You get attached to this idea or that thing or that sensation. You like this food or you like this experience, and it constantly you get stuck in all these little little areas. And you start thinking that this is like this is what life's about. The capacity to do that to identify yourself as your body and its experiences is an Olam Hazeh. Is what we mean when we say Olam Hazeh. Olam Hazeh means it's a dynamic of fixation. Olam Haba is Olam Shekol Azman Ba. There's always more. You're always you're always looking to to evolve. And you're, t- you're constantly looking to, to, to what we call to grow, to expand your consciousness, to constantly become more and more and more in touch with the rest of who you really are. The, that same you that you got exposed to in Olam HaNashamos, so there's more and more and more and more of you to constantly get exposed to. We have to learn what that means. What is self-awareness and what does it mean to become more conscious in general and what are, they, what are these things? But I just want to stress, whenever we talk about in the Jewish world, we talk about growth. You have to grow. The concept of growth is simply expanding self-awareness that's the definition of growth like everything that we talk about with growth it's not just about like doing certain actions or you know just behaving a certain way they're designed all of all the actions that we're doing are designed to create more consciousness of who we are and of hashem within us and that's the whole point that's the whole process that we're going through here so that's that's what Olam Haba is about. Olam Hazeh, we keep getting stuck. You know, it's like one step forward, a little bit of greater consciousness, greater self-awareness, more connection to Hashem, and then like two steps back, and then it's like you're just, you know, it's habits, ups and downs, and New Year resolutions and problems. And so but Olam Haba is Olam Shekol Azman Ba. Every, there's always more and more and more and more expansion and growth in a much more consistent type of rate. So that's what Olam Haba is about. And so again, that's what we mean when we say that. We are not talking about going to heaven. You know, if you if you uh, if you're thinking that when you when you die that now you're in Olam Haba, that is not a Torah concept. The, the, the Torah describes that the purpose of, of life is to be alive and to be here and to be operating. And death is actually an aberration. It's a it's a mistake. It's not supposed to even be happening. It only happens because of the the error that happens in the story of the Garden of Eden in the beginning of Sefer Parshas Bereshis. It's not supposed to be like that. So it is like that as a as a function of our error in that story but it's not supposed to be that way we're supposed to just live and live and live and live it's not, that, that's not supposed to be an end so it's supposed to be that you just keep on growing and expanding getting closer to each other and to those you love that's the whole point of Olam Haba that's what was supposed to be so and then again there's many many more parts to, to understand with that but the point is that the idea of heaven is not a thing there is no there is no going to heaven in the sky somewhere and that's like what happens when you die so, you know, that's, uh, that's, just, that's just nothing to do with what the Torah is describing. Now, of course, I'll just stress, for those of you who are, you know, perhaps not, you're more, there's atheists listening to watching this and, and all kinds of different, different people, no one has, you don't have to believe any of these things. You're 100% entitled to say, well, I don't believe that. But I just want to stress 
that it's irrespective of whether you believe it or not, this is what the Torah is claiming. You can find, and I'll, I'll just, you know, just to give some source material for a second, if you would like to read more about some of these things on your own and you want to see some of this inside, you can look at, there's a book called Derech Hashem by the Ramchal. There's a long piece about this. The Ramban, Nachmanides, has something called Sha'ar Agmul and the Kisvei Ramban, the writings of the Ramban, all about this. The last Perak of Masechah Sanhedrin, all about this. You can find many places where this is discussed. This is the mainstream. This is pretty much the only view about this topic. There's one opinion, the Rambam, who says something slightly different, in which he describes that there is, uh, you know, the, he goes further into like the later aspects of Olam Haba, where there's a couple of, sl- even even what he says is not really different than what I just described, but there's no argument about the things that, the points I just made, all the things I just said. So everybody agrees that is the Torah's view of what is going to happen. So that's just an important thing to know that just from a, just from a knowledge place, this is a hugely like, dis- a distinct and specific description of what we're what we what we think and what we what we believe about how reality works. I just want to make two more points about that. One is in terms of the relevance of this. So, in my case, this was always very relevant because I I struggled a lot with the with the with the question and the issue of like, well, you know, there's so many people in my life that I love and that I'm constantly trying to build relationships with and like I invest in my relationships and and then to think that that could just all just disappear and like where does that go and like what happens when you die and like. You know, just some of this vague, like, well, are you with people that you love when you die? Like, well, yes, but no, but who knows? It was always very vague. I always wanted some clarity on that because I just couldn't feel right about investing in, in relationships and connections without there being some sense of permanence of those things. And it's funny because we have all these writings that talk about how those things are permanent. Those things are the things that matter the most. And But like, well, what about that aspect? And then it was like, it drove me to learn a lot about these things because this was a very relevant, real problem for me. And I think that it's a problem for all of us. I think we all sort of grapple with the existential angst of wondering like, well, everything that I'm doing, like, what's it for? And it's usually just taught in this very vague way of like, well, you know, you can't, you can't take the money that you make with you. And no one wishes when they're on their deathbed that they spent more time at the office. So you should spend more time with your family. But it's like, but, but like both of those things are like, yeah, it's true that like, maybe that maybe money doesn't go with you when you die. But like, if you invest a lot of effort into creating value for the rest of the world and money is the is the measure of that, then like that has value too. And also, even even though you might spend a lot of time with your family and people that you love, like, but that also just disappears. So like, what's the point? It's a very, it's kind of like not dealing with the problem. So that's the relevance of this whole issue. And again, I just kind of want to just want to stress on the on the you know the last point here is just that this whole issue in terms of just learning about it and knowing about it. It's just very, um, it's just very clarifying and very specific to sort of understand, you know, what um, what's going on in the world now. It's not, it's not just like a theoretical idea. If you look at the world, so we are we are watching as technological progress happens all around us. And you know, most of the discussions that I hear generally revolve around either, wow, it's so amazing, or wow, look how technology is so damaging. But think bigger than that. You could think much bigger. Technology is not a thing. There's no such thing as technology. Technology just means. Consciousness, meaning us, self-conscious beings, applying that awareness to principles of reality that we learn and then becoming more and more and more precisely, powerfully controlling of those different parts of reality, those principles of reality. So when you can build an iPhone and you understand electrical charge and transistors and all those things and you're able to make them smaller and tiny and all, all all the different parts of a phone like that, so like that's mastery of the physical principles of this context, which is, you know, just us becoming more and more and more, um, I guess you could call it in sync with or, or similar to Hashem in his ultimately precise total control 
of all of physical reality. We are becoming more and more and more like Hashem. And so technology is not this independent category. It's like, it's just like, it's just a, it's a, it's just a manifestation of that process. And so when you realize that and you see how over time, like we are slowly, we're, we're, we're building more and more powerful tools. When you think about your own body, as just another tool, it's just made out of, you know, it's carbon-based, it's very water-oriented because it's bi what we call biological. But as you build more and more powerful tools, it starts to merge these things. I mean, we're not talking about technology. We're talking about figuring out ways to upgrade the totality of our being, you know, like the whole, the whole life that we live. And there's a lot to think about there because I'll just mention that all the, our capacity for hate, for mistakes, comes from, our, from the biological shortcomings of this body. You know, the, one of the main, main reasons why you make mistakes in your life is because you don't remember what happened last time you made a mistake. You don't actually build perceptions that are clear out of the actions that you take because your brain tends to record information according to trauma and not according to, inf to actual facts. So, like, you'll remember things that are exciting or difficult or painful, but not just basic information, which is like a really big shortcoming in a bio it, it, you know, it, for, for us as conscious beings, but it's a biological problem. We don't remember things in terms of the actual information. And so if you could find a way to, to enhance that by making our brains more powerful, they could remember things more clearly, you'd be able to achieve what's called zichronos, which is a theme from Rosh Hashanah, like that Hashem remembers all the things about us with clarity, and He sees us as who we actually are. If you remembered who you were actually with clarity, you wouldn't make the same mistakes more than once or twice. You also wouldn't have self-esteem issues because you wouldn't you wouldn't only think of yourself in terms of one or two characteristics or character situations where you failed or succeeded, which then distort your perspective of yourself because you'd remember yourself much more clearly. You'd see the totality of who you were much more accurately. That would help you to not be chote. That's one of like a thousand examples that I could give right now of like if we could find ways to more precisely control the machines that we're using to operate here, that you could actually upgrade the way that you live towards an Olm Haba type state of being. And that's what the Torah is supposed to all be about. The Torah is a perspective that helps you to more and more and more clearly understand the reality that you're in more and more precisely, more and more and more deeply and innovatively, as opposed to just very stagnantly kind of being like, yeah, like we're just like here to work on ourselves and like that's very vague, but like we'll just keep doing that. That's not innovative, it's not deep, it's not accurate, it's not precise, and it's definitely not growing. And so this is all part of one process. That's really why this is, this is super relevant. It's, not just, it's relevant in terms of the struggle and pain I described, and it's relevant in terms of what's actually going on. When you see the world through the eyes of this perspective, you suddenly realize that we are actually walking into Olam Haba right now. We are slowly transitioning to that phase. And it's not like just because... Well, it has to be soon. Oh, you know, Mashiach has to come soon or whatever. We need to talk about Mashiach, but it's an important thing to discuss also. But, um, but it's not just coming soon. Like you're watching it happen and you're either going to be an active participant in it or you'll be a, a person who just kind of watches it pass you by and you're not, you're not going to invest yourself into, into the magic of what Hashem is literally unfolding in front of you right now. So that's a bunch of thoughts to sort of in terms of the implications. I hope you understood the crash course part and the process that we are actually going through uh, that each person goes through. And of course, there's many questions I'm sure this obviously creates and we're going to have to talk about them. So feel free to reach out with the questions as well. But, um, you know, just uh, definitely I would, I would recommend thinking about it. Check out some of those sources that I mentioned if you want to see some of that inside. And hopefully we're going to do more follow-ups on this topic also as we continue to go. But definitely as a crash course, I hope that was relatively clarifying and should be somewhat useful. So looking forward to seeing you in the next video.